1: I could stay here forever.
0: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to episode 590 with my guest, the very funny Adam Ferrara. Uh, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the bullshit rattling around our skulls. From medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist, um, but I've been to a lot of therapy and a lot of support groups. And I take meds. And I'm a nut job. I, th- I really think there nobody gets nut jobs like nut jobs. Before I forget, uh, I want to remind you if you're in the Minneapolis area or anywhere nearby driving distance, uh, we're doing a live recording of the podcast on Friday, May 20th at 8 o'clock at Sisyphus Brewery, and I don't know why I opened the windows. It, the airport is 15 miles from me, and it sounds like it's in my backyard, but if I don't open the window, why don't we sweat my balls off, and you want me comfortable when I'm doing the show, right? So May 20th, 8 o'clock, it's a Friday, Sisyphus Brewing. And it, is it brewery or brewing? I forget. I've been here like four times, but awesome place, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I will put the link to all the ticket info under the show notes for this episode, but uh, I will also put it under the announcements on our webpage, which is mentalpod.com. Let's dive into some surveys, huh? We fucked around long enough. Let's get down to it. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Hans Moleman. For those of you that aren't Simpsons fans, that's the the nearsighted guy. Fucking great character, too. Is there any show that has the variety of fantastic characters? I, I actually just got a pair of Simpsons underwear, and my girlfriend looked at me like, really? And I said, yes, really? Like I love The Simpsons. I think my my favorite character might be the comics bookstore guy. He is just oh my god, he so completely nails that <laughs> that arrogant guy, that the arrogant attitude of somebody that just does not have their life together, but <laughs> thinks they're better than everybody else. So this person asks, how do you recover from divorce? I'm finishing up a divorce from what I would consider an extreme narcissist who made the process incredibly tough on my mental health. I'm almost 30, back at home with my parents, and so worried about the future. I know for both my mental well-being and that of those who care about me that this is where I need to be, but when does this get better? feels like I'm staring down a dark void with no light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how hard I try, and it affects every aspect of my life. I have considered self-harm more recently and do see a therapist regularly. Um, well, I, and it, it, uh, He is a male, and um, a lot of people think that males don't self-harm, and you would be sorely wrong, sorely uh, mistaken, because males do struggle with self-harm. Um, that's awesome that you're seeing a therapist. Uh, I'm reticent to, to offer any advice because there's no one size fits all for people that are recovering from uh, uh, going through a divorce and the pain of it. Even if the divorce is something that is good in the long run, it's still fucking painful. And I, you know, I I just had to to ride through the pain and. One of my close friends said to me uh, that every day it just gets a tiny bit better. And that helped me. And that's what I kind of clung on to. So hang hang in there, man. And you're, I think you said you're 30. You're almost 30. So you got a lot of life ahead of you. Uh, Unless that bus coming down the street is careening out of control, in which case, get cracking. But thank you for that. I'm trying, I'm a little bit sleepy, and so I am uh, drinking some green tea, even though it's dangerously late, it's like 10 p.m. here. And uh, I just, I don't like when I sit down to record the podcast, and I feel like my brain isn't firing on on all cylinders. I'd settle for two cylinders. This is from the Body Shame Survey. Filled out by a woman who calls herself the woman with the boobs. And uh, to the question, what do you like or dislike about your body and why? She writes, I'm ashamed of my breasts and butt. They're both large for my body frame and has been the topic of conversation since I was a kid. Adults would comment on my growing breasts and hips with approval and kids would tease me. As a result, I often felt uncomfortable with this attention growing up since I felt that I was being sexualized before I was ready. I have what is considered a very desirable body, according to conventional standards of female attractiveness, so I end up feeling guilty for my thoughts, and the guilt compounds the shame, but I really dislike the way my breasts and ass seem to announce themselves to the world in my dealings with others. I know people think they are being complimentary or nice in their comments. (laughs) The airplane just wanted to get... They heard that this was an interesting survey and they thought they'd fly by and see if they could what the fuck i opened the window and all of a sudden uh i'm at o'hare airport Uh, i know people think they're being complimentary or nice in their comments about my body but it makes me uncomfortable so much so that i wish i could lose enough weight to lose those body parts or just get rid of them in some way I had a breast cancer scare a while back and started to fantasize about getting a double mastectomy. I know it's awful to say that since cancer is terrible, but that is how much I disliked my large breasts. I wear baggy clothes to hide my body in public and at home. Uh, But when I take my clothes off, the breasts and butt are still there. Sometimes I change clothes with my back turned away from any reflection, and I avoid the bathroom mirror when getting into the shower. If I'm able to admire these parts of me, it often is from a perspective of someone else who is not me. I actually feel extremely puzzled by what I see in the mirror and do not feel that my body is mine. I look at my naked breasts or butt and feel as if they do not even belong to me but to a stranger. I find it hard to look at my body naked and recognize that it is mine or a part of me. It's hard to explain in words, but it is often a disorienting experience. I wonder if that would fit under the category of body dysmorphia. Um, but this is the real reason. Uh, in addition to that, this is the part that, that um, made me want to read this survey. Um, she writes, one thing that is both hurt and helped is getting pregnant. At first my breasts grew rapidly from the pregnancy, and I was really distraught by this, but then I started to grow a bump in proportion to my breasts, and I actually feel more and more like my body is mine and belongs to me. I worried the pregnancy would send me into some body dysmorphic tailspin, but I've come to like what I see in the mirror. I even take my clothes off and admire my belly along with the rest of my body. I feel closer to my body now that I have this belly and a baby in there. It's been a really surprising experience. Thank you for that and um, I just love that it your perspective has changed now and that you can see that your body has a purpose beyond other people's pleasure or gawking at you or whatever. Whatever it is. I think for a lot of people who didn't feel that they had autonomy, even if it's just the way people look at us, um, it's it's awesome when you can find something that reminds you that your body is yours. There's still so much ignorance too around what is an appropriate compliment and what isn't it. This is from the voice in your head survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Oz AWS. and uh, what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? And he simply writes that I am destined for greatness. Would not have expected that from a listener to this to this podcast. God bless you. And here comes another plane. I'm not shutting that fucking window. I am not gonna boil. And I'm not going to turn on the air conditioning so you can suck it. You're sitting here listening going, hey, that airplane's getting a little annoying. You know what? Fuck off. I cast you to hell. You know what? I cast you beyond hell. There's a street right on the backside of hell. It's a little cooler than hell, but there is nothing to do there. So it's really, really warm. But it is like the inside of a fabric store. That would be hell to me. Eternity in a Fabric Store. This is from the Body Shame Survey filled out by a woman who calls herself A. And she writes, The only thing I even partially like about my body is my hair because it's long, blonde, and curly. However, I hate literally everything else about my body. I feel as if I am the fattest, ugliest, and most disgusting person in the world. The reason I wanted to read this is because the... National fattest, ugliest, most disgusting person in the world competition is coming up this weekend. A lot of you may not be aware of that, so you can still not too late to enter. And who will? Which country will win? Which country has the deepest pool of fattest, ugliest, most disgusting people in the world? Well, tune in on Friday, and you'll find out. But uh, I, I have not, I've read hundreds of these and I don't know if I've ever read one, a single one where somebody didn't hate some part of their body. I've read some where people like a lot of things about themselves physically, but I don't know if I've ever read one where they love all of their body. This is from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by a woman who calls herself French Manicure. And she writes I have this voice in my head that berates myself for being lazy. I struggle with chronic depression, and the voice doesn't help. I also hear that voice say things like I have no ambition. I'm a loser, and my dreams of becoming a writer will not happen because I can't handle the work it entails. I know this isn't true. In fact, All of my employers have said I was one of their hardest workers. Even my old therapist during our last session noted that I was a hard worker. On top of that, I know I can handle the discipline of writing. I have a PhD. You can't write a dissertation without being a hard worker. And yet, I have this voice come up almost every damn day saying that I'm a loser who can't really make my dreams happen because I'm lazy. I know it's my father's voice that I've internalized. He called me lazy throughout my childhood and said I had no ambition. He often made fun of my habit of procrastinating. My mom, too, would get in on the action by reading my diary and making fun of me for it later, thus making any future writing of mine fraught with this sense of shame and embarrassment. Well, the important thing is that your mom had boundaries. (laughs) Holy fuck. It's not bad enough that she read your diary. She then mocked you for what she read in your diary. That is fucking horrible. Oh my God. Uh, They treated my education as both a requirement, you must go to college, and a luxury, gee, must be nice to read books all day. (laughs) Oh my God. Your parents just have literally, mentally, and emotionally cornered you. My dad liked to call me a loser and an idiot if I complained, cried, or had trouble understanding my homework as a kid. So when I call myself names, it's his voice that I hear. And I have so much trouble shaking it off. I'm in my 30s, and I don't know how to get his voice and mean names out of my head. Well, if you find out how, please let the rest of us know thank you for that and i'm so sorry you had to go through that i mean that is super that is super fucked up um this is from the same survey filled out by ambivalent phoenix and uh to the question what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself she writes you were born broken you are broken you are damaged there is no hope you will never get better short and sweet I love that the mean voice in your brain just gets right to the fucking point. It's not like, well, you know, there's some things about you that are like, nope, you're done. You're over. Uh, Same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Sunny. She writes, "Uh, some of the things you tell yourself about yourself that I am quite a good mom, a better one than I thought I would be. Putting my child's needs in front of my own came so much easier than I thought. Also, then I'm a bad wife, and having this child made me a worse partner to my husband who has a mental disorder. I can't support him the way that I did before, and I often expect too much from him. I make him feel really bad sometimes, and I hate myself for that. Thank you for sharing that. You got a little mixed voice there, huh? We are sponsored uh, by BetterHelp Online Therapy Uh, Burnout. Is the subject of this month's uh, BetterHelp ads, and you know, a lot of people think that uh, burnout can really only happen from work. But there's all different kinds of uh, of burnout. There's helping burnout, which uh, a lot of people don't even realize. Feeling like you have to be everything to everybody, being a people pleaser, uh, having an, an oversized sense of responsibility. Um, it's it's exhausting if you're one of those people and i can be i can be one of those people and the feeling that i get that comes up when i'm getting burned out is dread dread at just getting out of bed and this, so it's something that i work with my uh my better help counselor heidi and uh, she helps me a lot better help is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And you guys get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com mental. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com mental. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive, a must read for anyone in medicine from a doctor turned patient. From the Struggle in a Sentence survey, uh, that dork from high school says about her ADD, I am single-handedly keeping post-its in business.
1: Your fear of death is your love of life in reverse.
0: And when you find them, it's a great feeling. And I'm suddenly feeling horrible about (laughs) making that joke, but that's how far I will go to get a laugh because I am empty inside. Ah, you're in the right place. We're rolling.
1: You let me know what you need. Okay.
0: I am here with Adam Ferrara, my new best friend. Uh, (laughs) Adam's a fellow stand-up comedian and... We've been aware of each other for yeah. decades, yeah. And then we were on the same show together uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we started geeking out over the Beatles in, mm-hmm. the, in the green room. And, and I said to Adam, "How have we not been best friends forever?" And now we are. And now we are. I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, we're recording in his place. He's got the coolest studio. It's it. Uh, he's got wall to wall pictures of of Abbey Road. Two, Two that one one picture is the front entrance to Abbey Road, mm-hmm. and it takes up an entire wall of uh, his studio. And the other is the mixing desk at Abbey Road Number Three, mm-hmm. and it takes up another wall. And then you get a bunch of car memorabilia. And um, for those of you that don't know, Adam, he was the host of the American version of Top Gear. Speaking of cars, uh, you were on uh, the series Rescue Me, and. Probably, um, would you say, most known for being Nurse Jackie's girlfriend, Edie Falco's uh, boyfriend um, and, uh, on yeah, Nurse Jackie? Yeah, it
1: depends who you talk to. Like, I, right. the car guys know me from the car show. You know? I guess so, they're yeah. The and, you know, and then the nurses I get. And, but, yeah, it's nice. It's Look, it's nice to be even thinking about
0: us. You know, yeah. and then there's the comedy people. Yeah. So. yeah. And we were just talking before we started recording, uh, fear of financial failure yes you know here i am you live in a nice house in a nice neighborhood um could all go to shit, paulie (laughs) hold me give me one of your pills will you please (laughs) so what what do you do when the voice of doom uh, you've you've dealt with panic attacks yeah um Obviously, anxiety, Mm -hmm. uh, ADD. Depression. The fact that you're a comic means your childhood was a treat. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) I I will tell you this. It wasn't outward uh, abuse or verbal abuse. It was misunderstanding. The intention of my family was not, and I don't think anyone's intention is to hurt or to damage. Mm -hmm. Um, But everything was done out of love. And and knowing that doesn't fucking help at all, Paul. I wish it did. I'm kidding. <laughs> now, knowing knowing that does bring me some it brings me back to from the rage. Like, how could this? Everyone says, well, what, how this happened to me?" It happens. It happens. Everyone's got a bag of shit. Right. That should be that should be the sign when when you're born. Welcome to Earth. Here's your bag of shit. <laughs> it's your job you to deal with the shit or don't deal with your shit. Right. All right. But no one cares about your shit because they got their own shit. Right. So. Right. But my childhood. I took the characters of my mom and dad uh, because that's how I revered them. You, you know? were raised in Long Island. Raised in Long Island, Italian, uh, passionate people. Passion meaning loud, no control, emotional control whatsoever. <laughs> and 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 fulfill my desires now. I think that's what the impression is on Long Island. Um, so there was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of... Uh, not inappropriate uh, emotional response, but over the top emotional mm-hmm. response to stimulus and situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Any snapshots? Snapshots
0: in my head, or or, no, or that, evidence that, that, at the trial. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just, I always like to ask uh, guests to to paint uh, a little vignette from mm-hmm. the history of something that might be emblematic of uh, kind of the the emotional temperature of the house, or your inner life or your external I'll t- I'll life. I'll tell
1: you one of the things, um, a coping... Me- well, I'll tell you this, I, you know, Pop, I'm not happy. My father looked at me and said, listen, you ain't going to be happy every day. So. Which is kind of true. You're not going to be happy every day. So stop thinking that that's what you got to do. You got to get through today. How do you make tomorrow better? And here's the other thing. It's like I would get nice advice from my father, mm-hmm. but it was always... Followed by a chore, you know? He so, would say, he would, I would say, like, you know, I, I, there was an incident in school. I'll give you a snapshot. It was an incident in school where um, there was a fight uh, and I was making fun of somebody because I could, I could verbally do that. And I felt terrible. And he said, He goes, You joined the friggin' mob, is what you did. He goes, You got caught up in emotion. You did something you didn't want to do to be accepted by everybody else. Sometimes a man's gotta stand up for what he believes in, even if he's the only one in that room standing. You understand me? Yeah, pop. All right, now go take out the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and as and poorly, as I got older, yeah. the, the, the situations got worse and right. the, the, the the advice got shorter, the chores got longer. I said, <laughs> Pop, she's pregnant. I don't love her. I don't know what to do. Shit happens, a roof. You know, it would be like But there was he always took the time to whether it was good advice or bad enough, he took the time to talk to me right. you know, he would discount the emotions because he didn't know how to deal with it right So it got down to the it was bottom line what right. is it? And I recently found this quote that actually helped me uh, uh, understanding the question is half an answer, which is Socrates. My <laughs> father was Joe Ferrara, but it was the same right. it was the same right. thing right you know understand the question, get through your emotions. To figure out what is and deal with it, but not that what that did what what that 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 uh, map did for me was maybe discount the emotions mm-hmm. and and not because you joke. also could have used some comfort, a lot of comfort. Yeah, you know, there wasn't a lot of that in the
0: house. But that generation, no, they weren't big on comfort. No, pop my
1: hairs on fire. It's gonna rain tomorrow. Rake <laughs> the leaves. You know, just it. was and and but one of the things about that was the. The, the th- there was there was a quality of oh, i can do this you know my father would get through shoving down emotions and shit but he would do things he would just I mean, he, he he built our house he did kitchens and bathrooms that's what he did right. and he was he wouldn't go to school for it he just learned it my, my grandfather was a plumber he learned how to do this he learned how to do this he taught himself how to do this he cut our driveway paul we had a we lived on a corner we had this big hill we lived on and uh he redid the whole house and he wanted a circular driveway there was a big fight in the house my father would my brother joe what the hell do you want that for i don't want to back up that was the reason (laughs) so i get off the school bus one day he's rented a bulldozer and he's cutting the driveway he's on a bulldozer he's got a lucky strike hanging out of his mouth he's on a bulldozer and he's cutting a circular driveway i jumped on the bull. i go pop how'd you learn that he goes i never learned this this is what we're doing today let's go (laughs) so that kind of roll wow. up your sleeves and get to the bottom of shit, yeah that work ethic is instilled in me and i've t- i've taken that instruction and i've tried to direct it towards my depression and my anxiety and get to the bottom of it and it, ha- it has served me well to not discount my emotions but not to get wrapped up in it and lose sight of what i'm
0: trying to do To not tell, knowing what the question is. To to uh, not tell yourself that you are your story. Oh, that's good. That's that's what I heard somebody say one time. I am not my story. My story is a part of who I am. Yeah, I'm the idiot telling it to me. (laughs) Uh, Talk about panic attacks. When did you
1: first start experiencing? I don't recommend them, Gilmore. I was in New York. I was doing stand-up, and I started getting a panic attack. I was in the wrong place, and I was uh, with the wrong people. And the escalation of that, I had to make a decision to either go in full force or not, and I didn't know that my body was going, don't fucking go there. (laughs) This ain't Right. right. you know. And my body was doing everything to get my attention. This is the way I'm looking at it. But it was weird, because your panic... i didn't know what it was i felt like my rib cage was coming out i felt like my teeth were falling out i don't know why so i went to see um i went to see i went to this park avenue doctor on the recommendation of a friend of mine and it was i wish i was healthy enough to tell this lady to go to hell i really (laughs) did she showed me a video of manic depression i sat to watch the video and then i sat in her her office and she goes take these and I go, but I watched the video, I don't have the manic phase. Take these. I don't have that phase. I'm just, I don't, I don't, I don't have the, the will to go on. I don't have the, I, I don't get the happy part. Just take these. Listen, I don't have what this medicine is, bo- is supposed to do. How do I get the happy part? Maybe I'll take the bad part if I get the happy part. She was just pushing drugs. And I was, I went, I got it fulfilled because I was not in a state of, of knowing any better. Mm-hmm. I'm taking this shit. You know who saved me? Who helped me? The pharmacist. Really? Crazy Jerry we named him yeah. crazy jerry he yeah. lived across i was living i still got the apartment in new york and it was it was the pharmacist right there and i would go in and she gave me another prescription she gave me all kinds of stuff and i made the guy laugh he, he i think he knew we kind of knew he knew i was a comic and uh i uh, i think he was a rescue me fan but he didn't say anything mm-hmm. i don't know anyway so he's looking at this stuff and he's like hey man do you smoke oh yeah because i was smoking that. he goes he goes can i bum a cigarette I go, yeah, he goes, all right, meet me in the alley. So I went to the alley, We buy the dumpster, we light a cigarette.
0: Is there a way this could be more New York? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you guys had met on a pizza, that <laughs> is about the only way this could be more New York. Well,
1: I know, because when he crossed the street, a cab came up, and he was like, we're
0: walking here!
1: <laughs> so we're in the alley, we're having a cigarette, uh, and I noticed he's got cigarettes in his pocket. He goes, I got cigarettes. He goes, you got cigarettes in your pocket. He goes, yeah, I got to talk to you. You know what the fuck you're taking? He goes, these are antipsychotics. I go, I, I I don't know what that is. He goes, what's wrong with you? You know, and we'll have a cigarette talking to this guy. And he's like, I said, ah, I, I don't know. I got this pressure. I'm getting these panic attacks. I don't know what it is. He goes, Phew. he goes, do you like to relax? I go, I mean, what, you? Goes, what do you do to relax? I said, I don't know. He goes, do you like music? I go, yeah. He goes, all right, meet me here tomorrow. All right, I came back tomorrow. He handed me a hard drive. I go, what's this? He goes, friend of mine worked for Sony. He downloaded this. You didn't get it from me. Just listen to the fucking music. Calm down. Come back and see me in a couple of days. He goes, stop taking this shit. Guy didn't know me. It was like an angel sent from... Guy had no, no connection to me. Took the time.
0: Wow. How nice is that? Do you remember what music was on it? Uh, there was a lot
1: of blood, sweat and tears. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there was uh, a lot of sixties and seventies stuff, mm-hmm. which was right in my wheelhouse. Cause I like album rock. I like, uh, it starts for me around freewheeling Dylan, although I'm not a big mm-hmm. Dylan fan. I miss that. It, he's not really talking to me and it ends with like thriller, Michael Jackson, but all gotcha. that, you know, mm-hmm. the English rock and the English invasion and stuff and Crosby and Zeppelin, all that stuff. So there was a lot of that on there and there was some great Aretha Franklin. Oh, there was a song I took from that hard drive. Um, you ever hear Aretha Franklin do Bridge Over Troubled Water? Mm-hmm. Oh, son. Yeah. Oh, baby. That, that, that's, that's my, everything gonna be all right so. Have you
0: seen the, the movie of her singing in the church?
1: Oh, the, the documentary they released yes. after they found out what she, no, I heard about it. It's on, it's, it's on a list. It's really good. It's really good. That's really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. That, her fucking dad was creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, creepy. I, didn't, I think, uh, uh, Ritz wrote a book, um, the res- book Respect, I think it's him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did, uh, I know he did Joe Perry's book, which was pretty good. So, yeah. So, that's. Um, and so, did that. The music. Add, did you it, stop taking the. I stopped taking it only because I wasn't functioning. And then I went to see another doctor. And they're like, ah, oh, yeah, it stopped it. And then they, they, they Zoloff, they gave me that and that didn't really work the only thing they gave me was xanax, the xanax at the end of the day you know, was with daddy's pill right <laughs> you know? right which is not a great
0: long-term solution no for not a great
1: long but if i made it to five o'clock and my work was done i could oh okay yeah but i was in the wrong place and i was and my friend phil uh who's on my show with me um helped me out a great deal by just saying you are in the wrong place get in the cab because i was i was renting a room i left the apartment i was living in and i was renting this room above the cuban embassy it was this weird i was living in some guy's house and i was giving him money and he sold italian ties and i made him laugh i have boxes of silk italian ties he goes take them, go ahead take them. you are funny man okay so i was on i was smoking i was smoking like a dock fire i was just out all day out smoking um and my friend phil says get in the cab go down there make make a decision tell these people tell 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 your decision you're done that's it and it worked it it worked to a sense where tell the psychiatrist no i tell I, I, i i i was in a relationship i shouldn't have been in i gotcha so and uh i made it definitive and there's a once you put your stake in the ground and make a choice then that The relief of that Mm -hmm. is gone, but then the work starts, but there was enough of it to give me a, a foothold into, all right, this is what I got to know. And a lot of it comes back to not being liked when we talking before about codependency and disappointing people Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, feeling you're not good enough. And then that turns in on yourself, self anger. And then, you know, everything gets out of control
0: what do you feel like uh developing your sense of humor served you as a as a kid what what kind of it s- gave me it gave me a sense of how to fit in because my
1: father was very mechanical like i said before and that's why i love cars my father could fix anything he didn't even need the tools he could make the tools to fix the shit you know mm-hmm. he made our entire house with a butter knife i don't know how the <laughs> hell he did it and then you had toast and then we had toast yeah so I always gravitated to cars and I didn't have the if-then-go-to statement. You know, I know how they work. I just can't fix them. You know, my job was to hold the light, poorly. Right. You know. Um, so, in answer to your question, humor, when my dad came home from work, he was always stressed out. And that's where I get my fear of not being able to provide mm-hmm. and, and to look for something to aggravate myself so I could be aggravated to assume the role of the man of the house. If that makes any sense
0: mm, it so, does.
1: so the machine is looking for something to piss me off so i could be pissed off to, to fulfill what i think the man in the house should be so i couldn't do what he wanted to do so i when i made him laugh it went away his face went away the aggravation melted and he got this big smile paul my father was my father was gleason he had a laugh that would just fill up the room and when you got that laugh it made other people laugh so, and when I realized I could do it, I'm like, oh, that's how I can fit in. That was your first drug. Yeah, that was the first drug. That's how I can fit in. And I knew when I started doing stand, I went to the open mic and I got it, I knew I belonged here. I also knew I'm not going to laugh anymore because I'm going to look at it critically on how to do mm-hmm. it. And yeah. that scared me, but I did it anyway. And then I learned how to laugh. How'd you, how'd you learn how to laugh? I learned how to laugh by realizing I got to enjoy it first to figure out how it works. I got to feel what the effect is so
0: I know what I'm going for. What did you find yourself battling in trying to let go enough to enjoy it? Outcome. I was battling
1: the fear of not being funny. The fear of failure. Which is why you felt compelled to study it. Yeah. To give myself the false sense of control and illusion that I'm, I'm putting in the work. So eventually if I put in the work, this will happen. It's not true. You got to put in the work because this is what you want to do. The outcome's out of your control. You're entitled to your work. You're not entitled to the fruits of your labor.
0: Yeah, it's such a conundrum. It's like, how do you take your comedy seriously, but not take yourself seriously? You drink. And that's how you do it. <laughs> well, then I I succeeded <laughs> for the first
1: uh, 15 years of my stand-up. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think it's not connecting your
0: identity to the outcome. I was just going to say, yeah. it, and that's really hard. We are... In many ways, our own product when we put ourselves out there yeah. as performers or or artists, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to not feel personally rejected if, if we're not somebody's cup of tea. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and what I I will tell you, what advanced that understanding for me, you were graciously enough to was a, were a guest on my podcast, mm-hmm. and my podcast isn't just me. It's me my wife and my two friends you know i'm steering the ship and i'm i'm getting the guests and basically my show uh, if i may is it's the best nice leads i ever had paul was when i was a kid i was upstairs i felt my mom and dad i heard them downstairs with their friends laughing and helping each other with their problems and it was always you know it was an entamance cake there was mm-hmm. there was a little, eh, put a little whiskey and a coffee you'd be fine you mm-hmm. know it was a sense of community so i would hear them laughing That's the feeling I wanted to communicate with my show. So my show opens up with me, my wife, uh, my producer, my best friend talking about a topic that connects to a one-on-one interview I've done with a celebrity or somebody really cool, Mm. right? And then like any good group of friends, we talk about them when they leave. (laughs) So then after the interview, we do another 15 minutes. Did you hear when Paul Gilmartin said this? That reminds me of Mm. this. And it's like, you're coming over my house. In doing that and having those, the people I love be part of it, I realized I, I can't um, freeze up. I, I'm respo- I I felt responsibility for their emotional well being if someone didn't like the show, and I realized that's not what it is. And I had to communicate to them. I go, look, you know, go, another guy's a comic, but the other two, my wife's a civilian, mm-hmm. and uh, my uh, my other buddy Mark is a uh, he's a radio producer. So I had to communicate to them, like, look, this is a product we're putting out. This is not, you know, this is us, but it's not us. Right. So having to to communicate that to them helped me in some way
0: were they because i had to put
1: my own bullshit aside to care for the people i love uh, being of service i found
0: was it in an anticip- in anticipation that they were going to take any critiques personally
1: once you put yourself out yes once you put yourself out there you're open to it right you know you're open to this is what happened how people can react to it any way they want given their the filter of how they see shit you yeah. know whether it's accurate or not it could get back to you and you will have a uh A reaction to it so what are the what are the battles today that you uh, find trusting myself it's trusting trusting in the again separating from outcome doing what I want to be doing realizing when I'm doing something it's okay to put myself into it I don't have to worry about the future because I feel like I can't provide, what am I doing? I got to, you know, mm-hmm. you're here now, do this now, the best you can do this. How you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just got to keep, keep that focus. You know, that, that monkey mind that runs mm-hmm. to fear is the thing you have to, you have to control. And, and it's tr- My wife is, you know, pillar of strength, beautiful woman. She's I'm batting over my head, Paulie. And I know she loves me because there's no money. I mean, there's money, but there's no. I'll stay still for this because we have a villa. There's no villa money. (laughs) But she, she told me because you don't trust yourself. He goes, you got to trust not in your talent, your ability. You got to trust everything and do it, and then the outcome will support itself. Yeah, and look how far you've come.
0: Yeah, You've, you've, you've thrived.
1: It's still scary, for decades. It, it, but it's still scary. Here's the, and, and, and here's one thing that I that I do. We were talking about how the ego and mm-hmm. how we need to fool ourselves through the illusion of control. I took that statement of faith, which is what my wife said, but she's got more faith than me. I took that statement of faith, and I figured, well, what does that mean? So now I'm looking for shit like a scientific reason or anything. So I found, I forget, I think it was Hawkins. I was reading some Hawkins. He goes, nature will support itself. If you are part of nature and the creative energy, the system is designed to support. I'm like, wow. Nature's going to support itself, which means I need to be a plant. You know, I don't. But if you're connected to that energy, whatever it is. I agree. That source energy.
0: I couldn't agree more. Um, One of the things that I like to remember when I find myself holding on too tight Mm -hmm. is, listen, something created the universe yeah there is some guiding force in the universe where 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 love comes from where Mm -hmm. community comes from i don't know where the source of that energy is but i think of that as the architect and my job is to be the bricklayer to not guess as to second guess you know the blueprints to just go how can i be the best brick layer that I can yeah. and then step back and go wow look at this beautiful thing that I got to be a part of a part of yeah
1: I what helped helped me again and it's all
0: understanding an
1: illusion of control maybe but it's understanding is um you know n- knowing what, what what the question is but knowing how to how to how to work with the energy I changed the word from change because change to me has a negative connotation there's something wrong I got to change mm-hmm. there's an urgency to it to evolve Look, shit evolves. <laughs> the seasons right. happen every year.
0: Yeah. The you universe know, is expanding.
1: It's good. This is what it's got. It, it's natural evolution is the evolution. Be part of that energy. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you got to swim out to catch the wave. You got to swim out to catch the wave and then ride the wave in, but you have to swim out again. Yeah. So look at the the points in your life is um, um this phase, this phase, this phase. The transition to get to that phase is is painful. <laughs> It is. You know, change is painful. It's scary. I hate yeah. the unknown. Do you really think the friggin' inchworm knows it's gonna be a butterfly one day? He's like, oh, shit, I got ten legs and they all fucking hurt, you know? <laughs> I, I didn't even know the inchworm was what became the, uh, oh, is that the caterpillar? Caterpillar, yeah. Okay. Was it inchworm? Yeah, caterpillar? Yeah. So, I'm a child. So, it's- <laughs>
0: inchworm, inchworm. So, are there any moments... When your need or desire to control really were ugly or backfired on you, or you look back and yeah. you're like, wow, that that was not a enlightened moment, but, yeah. but you look back in it and you're like, oh, I can see that I've grown since then. I've been fortunate enough not to have
1: the expression of that anger manifest in the way I saw it manifest. Like I never hit anybody. Oh, I saw a lot when I was a kid. You know, that's just the way you in solve your, in shit. In your house? No, no, not the okay. fit. I mean, I, you know, I got I, my father hit me a lot. Not my brother so much. He hit me a lot. He's like, well, I guess that's wrong. Thanks. I'm glad I could help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm the test monkey. Like, are we talking open hand slap? Yeah. He, he we, we, we never went rounds. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. two out of three falls. You know, he kicked me in the ass once outside of Mr. D's pizza. I flew right over the caddy. He just, I wasn't where I was supposed to be. Boom, kicked me in the ass. I went right up over the hood. That's uh, brutal. Uh, I I did stick the landing. <laughs> what? Well, just jokes aside. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, but it only happened once. He was remorseful. My mother made him apologize. Never happened. Never happened again. But the idea that it happened, he never had to do it again. You know, because I was just, I knew I was more scared of my father than the outcome of what was going to happen or the bullies on any, any of it, you know, I was more scared of that. So that kind of kept me in line. It's not, it's, it, it, it's a harness, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um, but it's, uh, I'll give you an example. My father had this, this gravitas. He had this, he was a crime boss. My father, he's not the guy that kills you. He's the guy that nods his head and people die. Does that make sense? <laughs> and you're talking figuratively. Yeah, I'm talking figuratively. So, I remember once I had, to, I was at baseball practice and my father drove home to, I had to be on the corner of the field. The sliding door was going to open, jump in the truck, sit on a dual box, close the door and go home. I got to be there. He goes, I don't want to stop. I'm going to slow down. <laughs> wow. So I ran middle of practice. I heard the truckers was a hole in the muffler. <laughs> got to go ran. I just, the coach is yelling at me. He goes, where you going? Gotta go. <laughs> that was more important than me to get there. I got there. I got in the truck. My father drove around and he had to go past, you know, with the coach. The coach was standing in the street and stopped. He goes, well, he goes, he, he just ran out to be in the car. He goes, that's what he's supposed to do. My father's got a lucky strike in his mind. He's talking mm-hmm. to me. He goes, that's what he's supposed to do. He goes, well, I need to talk to him. He goes, what do you got to say to him? Well, he needs to stay. He goes, he's not going to stay. He goes, He goes, he goes, what do you want to do? The coach couldn't, couldn't process this. He's like, well, he can't just leave like that. I go, he did. He's going to do it again next week. I I would suggest you get used to it. And he drove away. Wow. The conversation was over. He drove away. And guess what? What? Coach never opened his mouth again. (laughs) Gotta go.
0: What was your dad like with your mom? He yelled.
1: This and you know what? My mother, my mother was tough, but my mother was, uh, my mother was his queen. He put her on a pedestal. He told me when I was a kid, he goes, "You want to live like a king? You treat your wife like a queen. You build your kingdom together." Would say that to me, but he would yell a lot at her. He would yell in general, mm-hmm. and then in her, you know, he would yell at her. It wasn't abusive yelling. It was just loud. You know, he he wasn't insulting. It wasn't demeaning, but it wasn't as loving as it could be. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't, wasn't aware that I took this behavior on until I got married. My wife went, uh, you're not your father and I'm not your mother. And I went, fuck. Like last night it even happened. What happened? She was upstairs listening to something, you know, loud kids singing or something. It's like they have that commercial cause for kids. Oh man. I am never doting in your car right now. Just just those, yes. those. the song goes through my head like a nail. I'll give you the money. I'll give you the money to stop the commercial, but I'm not. So that kind of, mm-hmm. and I just, instead of saying, can you please lower that? I'm down here going, you're killing me. honey. Huh? you're just killing me. And she right. came down the stairs and she goes, would you like me to lower the television? And I went, yeah. So it's stuff like that. It wasn't abuse, but it wasn't, uh, again, as loving as it could be. Um, but when my mother, I, I'll tell you an incident when I was a kid, my father pissed off my girlfriend. I forget what the hell happened, Paul, but it was prom or something. And there was supposed to be a party. My mother wanted to throw a party before the prom, but then this, this girl's house. And we wanted to go there. It was, it was a punk. I was a teenager. I, know. I hurt my mother's feelings. Didn't mean to do it. Uh, and my mother said something about my girlfriend at the time. And I got, I yelled and my father came down scary as hell because he didn't raise his voice. I was in a garage. And I go, Is she, he goes, he goes, you know, I got, I got to, def- you know, I, she, 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 she said something about my girlfriend. He's like, and you yelled at your mother? I go, yeah. He goes, so now you're yelling at my girlfriend. And I shit myself. <laughs> he goes, how do you expect me to respond with someone yelling at my girlfriend? And I went, I get it. I get it. So a lot of lessons I learned in life were fear-based, mm-hmm. you know.
0: What are some of the lessons that were instilled in you that you have had to unwind? Mm. Uh, Clearly, you know, yelling to
1: express yourself. Yeah, yelling to express myself. I have to unwind that. Um, Unsolicited advice to take
0: control of a situation. Oh, that's a
1: good one. Yeah.
0: That is a good one, especially when it comes to our partners, thinking yeah. that if we can teach them or change them, mm-hmm. that we'll
1: both be better off. And the, the reason it's so difficult, Paul, is I'm right. All right, right, Paul. <laughs> I'm right. And the quicker you realize that, the, the better off our relationship is going to be. God. So awful. Yeah.
0: So awful and seems so real in that yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. seems so real. And we forget how it feels to be the person who's being quote-unquote tutored
1: yeah the biggest the the quickest way to build resentment is to parent an adult you know so it's that one-way contract it's like you're it's part of like after all i've done for you or i'm doing this because i love you right i know you didn't ask because you can't that that's what makes this a beautiful gesture on my part
0: (laughs) what 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 else are uh the reoccurring patterns or struggles that as you evolve a a doom cycle oh I love sweet sweet doom oh yeah the doom cycle
1: yeah the the the, it's all over I'm a I don't sleep well it's better now because I found I actually found a different therapist now which was really cool
0: and that's helped with your sleep
1: well here's what happens I would I fall asleep for an hour and then I wake up and then the game of staring at the clock and it's all coming to it it, Mm -hmm. it's it's always Sunday night my homework's not done and the school bus is coming (laughs) that's such
0: a fucking great metaphor yeah analogy or whatever you want to call it i've lived like i still don't know what the. I i always get those confused i don't know you say anise yes um there should be a word for people that misuse analogy and metaphor
1: they do it it's it's called paul gilmartin that's the word (laughs) no it's i know i i know what you're trying to say i I don't know the simile metaphor i have no idea what it is but that's the feeling paul that's the you know that ah ah panic Uh, doom panic doom it's all it's worse and it's and i i would wake up in the morning i i call it walking through the haunted house i gotta get out of bed i gotta walk through the haunted house As soon as like the second cup of coffee caffeine kicks in I'm like ah okay there's some vitality. <laughs> so, are you
0: getting up at the crack of dawn when you can't sleep or uh, middle well, of the
1: night? Yeah, it's in the middle. Of, I can't. It's, I'm rolling back and forth, rolling back and forth, rolling back. And then I'll fall asleep a half hour before I'm supposed to get up. And then <sighs> I'm like, hate that. fuck. So, but what helped me with the new shrink was dealing with what I'm dealing with was finding, you know, a triggering incident or something from your childhood mm-hmm. that, oh, I blamed myself. And that's what this is. So I'm sleeping better now. So I know I'm on the right track. It was funny. I had um, Anthony Edwards on my show mm-hmm. um, and he uh, has a, uh, and please excuse me, I forgot the name of his, uh, uh, of his, his charity and outreach program, but it's about uh, males, uh, children who were abused it was, he was sexually abused uh, in mm-hmm. the Hollywood system. And I asked him on the show, I said, how come the victims blame themselves? I don't understand that. He's like the kids coming through it's a sense of trust the betrayal of trust is so much they can't figure out why Mm -hmm. so they blame themselves and then that's that's the code that everything runs on from that point
0: and you and you learn to stop listening to your intuition because Mm -hmm. you always assume not only was i wrong i am wrong yeah and you start beating the shit out of yourself
1: you know so that helped me a great deal just in understanding why and then going to the new shrink going back into your, your childhood and stuff and okay bah, 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 bah. oh oh okay and there's no great relief when you realize it there's illumination mm-hmm. but then you just see the work you got to do you know it's like someone turned the lights on and like this place is a fucking mess <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how do you feel you're functioning today? You know, we all have this idealized version uh-huh. of ourselves that we will probably never reach. Right. I, if you start calling me emperor, that's a start. That's a
1: start. That 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 I'm halfway to my goal. I got one guy. Yeah. <laughs> now I just need the rest of society to address it. He me just as needs emperor. to spread the word. I feel um I feel now I know what the what the battle is and the battle is to stay present and to enjoy what i'm doing you know like you, you came over today you did my show before this i did i'm doing your show now mm-hmm. we're in my little studio here i was i was eager to to, to see you it's a, a new friend we have a yeah. common interest i was like i, I want i i i like what you're doing i was like i got a play date I'm going yes. to enjoy. This. I felt the exact same way. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm going to enjoy this, and I'm yeah. taking the time. To, I'm not. I'm not in my head going, I got to edit this interview because I got to go to that premiere tomorrow night, and I got to mm-hmm. get I got to get my hair cut. I'm like, oh, who's this fat bastard in my mirror? You know, <laughs> rather than doing all that shit, right. which is stuff I got to do the rest of the week. Right, I'm enjoying my time with you, and realizing I'm allowed to enjoy this time. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this. Isn't a means to an end. I'm having a conversation with someone I, I really want to get to know even though I'm going to make something out of it for my show, and you're going to make something out of it for your show. So I'm uh, in answer to your question, I think that's where I'm at now, recognizing the opportunities I have to enjoy myself.
0: Yeah. And not beat the shit out of myself. It didn't occur to me until about maybe 10 years ago that I had been mistaking negative Mm self-talk for discipline.
1: Ooh, that's good. Yeah, I got worry is not responsibility. I got that one helped me. Yeah. Yeah, negative self talk for discipline. That's, yeah. Yeah. And that, that, I, yeah, because that, that guy lives
0: in my head too. Yeah. What is your major malfunction, <laughs> right, numb nuts? Right. Yeah. That's kind of nice. Nobody has ever shamed themselves into being the person they want to be. And yet that seems to be our go to mm-hmm. if we think we're not doing enough, or we don't have enough, or we're not enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, a shame-based reality yeah and you you in talking to you before you said you were more Mm fear-based can you what's the difference because i got both i think
0: um i think fear uh, uh, shame is taking the fear Mm -hmm. and making it personal okay that's good you know by denigrating who i am as opposed to just recognizing because i think we all have some baseline level of fear and the way for me to deal with fear is to say is this a rational fear or is this an irrational fear one of the things i've worked with my therapists on is cognitive dissonance and saying what are the facts on the ground okay well telling myself that i'm going to be destitute uh what are the facts on the ground facts on the ground right now are i'm able to support myself i have a nice life Mm. uh it's not an issue so let's just go with the facts on the ground okay for now shaming myself would be well i haven't done my to-do list perfectly for the last two years Mm. uh i'm fucking lazy i will be destitute so it's listening to the lie and turning it around and making it personal okay, rather so than
1: fear the fear is there the fear, and the the shame fear it, will be there regardless and the shame is the way we process it
0: yeah is believing it is believing it and b- then blaming ourselves for something that hasn't even happened mm. or if something did happen that i'm shaming myself for you know what i will ask myself is is there an apology due mm. to somebody? If there is, I make it. And if it if it if there isn't because I'm making too big of a deal of it, then I just say, mm, have other people on the on the planet made minor mistakes that you know mm. or they said something that uh, you know wasn't it, necessarily hurtful, but it might have been mildly inappropriate mm-hmm. or uh, you know. It's usually when I'm afraid that I'm not enough that I'll try to be the big shot and make yeah. some big joke and it lands badly and I and I maybe look stupid. I don't hurt anybody's feelings, but I look desperate. I look needy. Yeah. I got that. And then I just will go, "Okay, yeah, wasn't my finest moment. Didn't hurt anybody. Fucking let it go."
1: Yeah. Okay, so shame is the internal um Blame for fear or internal process of fear.
0: Yeah, what, what I can shame myself for anything.
1: I can too. Hold on, I gotta write a note. Please, to do forgive the Catholic Church. It's my <laughs> fault. <laughs> yeah, I was blaming everybody. I was, you know, and, and 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 you know what else I was doing when I would, I would try to make my art form stand up, be a cure. And a healing place, and it was I. I stopped for
0: you personally, for or the me personally, yeah. and
1: I was like, I can't do this. This is not. I was on stage listening to stuff. I go, What the fuck are you yelling? This guy, this this couple got a sitter. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they made a choice to come see me live, and I'm bitching about my problems. That's not art. That's just bitching. You know, Elvis Costello said, "You you just can't take your diary and put music to it. Make it art. So you gotta mm-hmm. you can use it as raw material." but there's a responsibility to snack group therapy theology. yeah it's not fucking therapy it's just making them laugh i was like i was talking to a buddy of mine the other night not a comic he was on he was yelling he goes, i can't help it i'm angry i said you want to be angry you want to be funny it ain't an anger club it's a comedy club you want to be fucking angry sit in the audience you want to be funny you get on
0: stage you know, and he asked for my opinion, Paul. I didn't just yes, say that. That's awesome. But That's awesome. There are a few people that can make anger funny, but I I'm think... I'm not one of them. Here's what, here's what I found out.
1: Frustration is funny on me. Anger's not.
0: Anger is... Oh, that's a great differentiation. Because, like, one of my favorite uh, uh, comedians is Bill Burr. I don't mm-hmm. always agree with everything that he says, but I love how he pushes boundaries and... He finds truths in things that um, aren't necessarily politically correct, Mm -hmm. uh, but he does it. I know Bill personally, and he is somebody who has a very high baseline level of frustration, and his frustration on stage is organic, and that's one of the things that draws me into it, and it's not just unfiltered rage. It's not manufactured, Yeah. and so I enjoy that frustration.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's authenticity. That, that's yes. here's the thing about the audience; they can smell it. They're not going to laugh because it ain't true. Right? It's not. That's the ultimate lie detector. And test. he's it's aware an of
0: his frustration and 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 anger. Yeah, which. I th- I think is also important because I think you and I have both seen comedians where we're like that person just needs therapy. Yeah,
1: it's not it's not an art form, right? You're just bitching and moaning. I can right. get I can get that in my parents' house,
0: right? You uh, know. <laughs> uh, the name of uh, Adam's podcast is the Adam Ferrara Podcast. How'd you come up with that name? Ah, you know, born
1: into it. You know, <laughs> handed down. Yeah, it was the same energy. I think that that name, Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs>
0: Uh, buddy, I love talking to you and, uh, enjoyed it, my friend. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for having me on your, and, uh, your and podcast.
1: A nice, a nice uh, uh,
0: inspiring journey you are on. So thank you for doing yeah, this. Right back at you. Yeah. Um, what are adam is a huge fan of li- listening to books on tape especially yes. in the in the self-help the realm. Stuff. he doesn't just listen to beatles stuff mm. give me top three self-help books that you would recommend top three
1: so depending on on where you are uh my meditation teacher dean slider natural meditation uh that kind of clarified everything for me and there wasn't a lot of indian words i couldn't pronounce Mm -hmm. um so anyone who's interested in getting into it the way the book is designed is there's a chapter on the on the the philosophical uh uh point of something and then the practice is the next chapter and it just builds from there so it's a nice guide so i would Mm -hmm. recommend that uh we were talking about eckhart tolle Mm -hmm. the new earth i thought i love that book that was a really good book um and uh cutting through spiritual materialism i thought was good because it just it, it illuminate to me how the ego still worms its way in yeah to manufacture the illusion of control mm-hmm. and when you've you know so th- those are the three right off the bat right and willie moscone uh winning <laughs> pockets billiards was one of the first books do you I
0: remember read. A, a comedian um oh god dave i forget his last name He was an Indianapolis comic, and Mm -hmm. he said, uh, uh, yeah, I'm really good at pool. Maybe you've uh, read my book. Uh, It's called uh, What Am I, Stripes? (laughs) Dave Dugan. Dave Dave Dugan. Dugan. I actually, uh, you know,
1: taught me I got really good at pool playing with Rogan. Yeah. Because I used to play with Joe when uh, I was on a show on UPN. That's how far we're going back. And he was on the baseball show before news radio and the hollywood athletic club we would meet at the end of rap but i think he was at sunset gower and we Mm -hmm. would just go up there and shoot pool and uh yeah he's really good is he he gave my pool cue i got a richard black pool cue he gave me i think i traded him for a desk chair because i had an old godfather chair Mm -hmm. and i was moving to new york and i think he wanted the chair so he gave me uh, a pool cue it was got a metal joint ivory ferrule
0: really nice no idea but it's uh, it's really nice Yeah. (laughs) yeah adam thanks so much buddy good to see you baby I love making new friends. It's funny, you know, he and I were aware of each other for decades, but our paths never crossed. uh, And I'm glad they did.
1: Delve into the shadows of the mind
0: with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. you should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle, find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Let's dive into some surveys. This is from the body shame survey filled out by Just Cut It Away. And she writes, what I like about my body My smile, my hair, my eyes, my legs, my arms, my lips, my eyebrows, my butt. What I don't like, my post children belly. So obviously, I hate everything about myself based on that one part of my body that I can't seem to change, no matter the activity levels. Marathon runner, five to seven times per week at the gym. And no matter my nutrition, I've gone from orthorexic to anorexic and everywhere in between and back again. I pull men in with my good looks, my humor, and charm. They get me naked. We have sex. And I don't hear from them again. Makes me want to harm myself. I don't, but it's the most hurtful thing they can do to me. You know, as I was reading your survey, I was thinking, what... Are there criteria, the men that you decide to to sleep with? Is there a point in your relationship that you get into bed with them? Does it happen right away? Um, And I'm just wondering if you put off the having with sex with them Until you got a sense of their personality. You know, my friend Mickey has a saying that the first six months of a relationship, you're not meeting each other, you're meeting each other's representatives. And I'm just wondering, if you held off on having sex with that person, you might find that you don't even like that person. And then you don't have to go through having the fantasy popped of who that person might have been because a lot of times you know if 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 it's over after a one night stand and we wanted more we never get to find out that that person might have been a fucking pain in the ass to be around but excuse me <clears throat> this is where i choke but if we have multiple dates with them and take our time then i think we're going to have fewer oh jeez I think we're going to have fewer of those episodes where we build up this idea of the person that didn't call us back. And then I think there's less pain that there's less fucking... So, it's a trade-off. I don't know. All of a sudden, I'm feeling like all of my thoughts and opinions are stupid and I'm not speaking right and I'm too slow and my coughing is rude and the airplanes are distracting and I'm no good at this. And everybody's going to believe me. <laughs> That's what I've been battling since I turned the mic on 65 minutes ago. That is what is going through my head. And this is the kind of shit I talk about in my support groups. But a lot of times, you know, I'll I'll, I'll talk about it. On the podcast, I'll get honest about it, but sometimes I'll just fight through it. I'll be like, that, you know, that's the perfectionist in you. That's the mean voice in your head. Or even if that is true, it's okay. That's okay. If somebody thinks this, this was a shit episode and the previous one was a shit episode and they're done with it. That's not going to kill me. It'll just slowly make me poor until I throw myself off a bridge. This is an email I got. Uh, And it says, good day. I came across your email contact prior to a private search while in need of your assistance. I am Aisha al-Qaddafi, the only biological daughter of former president of Libya, Colonel Muammar al-Qaddafi. Wow. I am a single mother and a widow with three children. Wow. First of all, I want to say I am so sorry that you are a widower. But it's awesome that you still have your father, President Gaddafi, around. I have investment funds worth $27,500,000 United State dollar. And I needed a trusted inv- investment manager partner because of my current refugee status. However, I am interested in you for your investment project assistance in your country Maybe from there, we can build business relationship in the nearest future. Well, I went on my iCalendar. I'm a a Mac guy. And I clicked on nearest future. And it turns out there is no nearest future setting. You would think if they have a thing that you can click on that says nearest future, well, nearest future would come up. Apparently, it's a glitch in the system. So I don't know what I've got scheduled for my nearest future. What I do have, if you click on on iCal, is furthest future. And I clicked on that, and it said pile of dust and bones. So I think it goes a little too far out into my calendar, but I've got some stuff to think about. She writes, I'm willing to negotiate an investment business profit-sharing ratio with you based on the future investment earning profits. Those are a lot of big words in there, and I'm not sure what you're saying because it sounds like you're saying you're going to determine a ratio to start off with, but it's going to be based on what it earns in the future, which makes me think I'm going to need a time machine. And the problem is my accountant who's going to need to be with me on this he's a woozy traveler and he gets he gets time machine sick so i might just have to go in the time machine by myself and just plow into the nearest future and i got to tell you i'm a little nervous so i might have to take a dramamine i might have to take a valium but I'm excited that I might get a chance to meet President Muammar Gaddafi because i got to assume who's, he's doing great these days. If you are willing to handle this project on my behalf, kindly reply urgently to enable me provide you more information about the investment funds. Your urgent reply will be appreciated. Best regards, Mrs. Aisha al-Qaddafi. Oh, that's interesting. Widow, still calling herself Mrs.? You know what? Fuck you. That's the deal breaker. This is from the Body Shame Survey. Filled out by a guy who calls himself Gary. What do you dislike or like about your body? Everything other than my eyes, smile, and legs. As a plus-sized man, I struggle to find clothing in general, let alone fashionable clothing. I found that dressing more fashionable and true to myself gives me a great deal of confidence. The only issue is those items don't tend to be commonly in my size. With a large beer belly-like stomach, love handles, what would be considered by my middle school bullies as bitch tits, uh, all of it. The fact that I can look at myself in the mirror naked and see how strong my legs are and then look up and see flab and softness in my torso and chest hurts so bad especially as someone who works out and lifts weights and my upper body gets stronger but doesn't change in appearance hurts so damn bad it makes me feel like all of my work is for nothing. Well thank you for sharing that Gary and uh, I buddy I relate it, it my lower body looks like it's on a different human being than my upper body and my girlfriend God bless her tells me she loves all of it and I tell her that she has low standards and then I throw hot coffee in her face and that's why we've been together for three years and why she wears a hood this is from the shame and secret survey and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself girl under the bell jar she and she only filled this out partially Uh, she identifies as asexual she's 20 um, was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it My father was my abuser. He was, as a child, abused physically, verbally, and I believe sexually, though he had never admitted it. This led to him becoming all sorts of fucked up. He had depression, bipolar disorder, paranoid schizophrenia, and who knows what else. My memories of the sexual abuse didn't surface until my parents divorced and he was out of my life. Most of the memories are vague and seem to lead up to or decline from the actual moment of abuse. I don't think about it anymore for the most part, maybe due in part to my family's reaction. They had noticed my fears surrounding my new stepfather and pressured me into talking about things I wasn't ready to talk about. Apparently, they weren't ready to hear it anyway. They told me I must be mistaken and that it was all in my head. Uh, She is not sure if she's been physically or emotionally abused. Uh, She writes, My father shared his conspiracy theories with me as I was growing up which I think might count towards emotional abuse. One of which I remember in t- particular was that the rapture was soon coming. He said Christians would die of starvation, disease, and torture. Those who would survive would be the ones who relinquished their belief in Christ and were to be damned in hell in the afterlife. After this, I made a plan to kill my sister and I as soon as the rapture started so we wouldn't have to suffer. Wow. I'm not picturing a lot of laughter in your house. Any positive experiences with the abusers? I do not remember anything besides the abuse. My extended family has said that he was a devoted father. I believe he loved me. I believe his mental illness made him the sick bastard he is. Darkest thoughts. I'm asexual, but I think about having sex with my English professor. Typically, I don't get turned on, but I look up to her, and the idea of having emotional intimacy with her gets me off. These thoughts are only occasional. I don't long for an intimate relationship, but I masturbate to these thoughts. I wouldn't ever share this because so many people already question me on being asexual. If anyone knew, my sexuality would be in question, and I despise being told I need a man in my life. It makes me feel entirely degraded. Um, darkest Secrets, I'm too ashamed to say, even in an anonymous survey. If I were to ever to type, type it out or say it out loud, it would become a truth I could no longer pretend wasn't true. Well, thank you for filling that out. And, you know, um, I say fuck anybody that, that wants to box in or label your sexuality. You know, whoa, I thought you told me that you were, fuck off. We fuck who we fuck. We love who we love. And, uh, does it matter what it's called? So, I, and I, I can't, I don't even know why that would be a deepest, or a darkest thought. That's such a human, beautiful fantasy that you have having sex with somebody that you look up to. That's sweet. This is a happy moment filled out by do you know the Muffin Man? You know what? I know him a little, but I'm not comfortable saying that we're friends. I always say, you know, the Muffin Man and I were acquaintances and that that feels more appropriate because I would never say, I don't know the Muffin Man. Everybody knows the Muffin Man a little bit. But then again, I mean, philosophically, does anybody really know the Muffin Man? I mean, really, what's inside? Share one or two of your happy moments. I visited my sisters last week without visiting my abusive, alcoholic, and narcissistic parents. This was the first time I worked up the courage to go see family without seeing my parents. I live in a different country than my family, so this was no small trip. Usually I feel obligated to visit my parents when I go back home, but after another visit last year that ended in tears, I decided I was done. In fact, every visit to my parents has ended in tears since 2014 as their active addictions and untreated mental illnesses get worse. When I told my parents last year that I couldn't do this anymore, they guilt-tripped me and started arguing with me about how I was wrong and that they weren't drinking, that I was too sensitive and heartless. Bizarre reasoning, I know, how could I be both? That they were both sober now, so I no longer needed to worry, that next year will be different, blah, blah, blah. This is the pattern with each visit, and last year I snapped and decided I was done participating in the same runaround bullshit. Although I felt a lot of guilt leading up to the visit, it was actually really enjoyable. It was great to see my siblings without my parents dominating the room. I had fun catching up with my sisters and talking about subjects beyond, "Oh no, what is mom or dad doing or saying now?" I was able to spend quality time with their families without feeling like a fight might might break out at any moment. I felt calm and happy to be there instead of anxious and angry. Most importantly, I didn't need to decompress or debrief after the trip because it didn't put me in a depressive funk afterwards. We even had time to go out and do something in the world. We went to restaurants and parks, we hiked, we went swimming, we shopped. All of those activities would have been off the table if my parents were invited, as they usually need to be near their home to drink and rarely get their act together to show up in a public place. It was glorious. It felt like an actual vacation. Imagine, a family trip that is fun instead of a chore. I just can't believe how smooth the whole trip went, and I'm happy that I was able to see my sisters in a calmer, more peaceful state because my parents' drama wasn't dictating our itineraries. It's gotten to the point where all of us adult kids have had enough with our parents' abuse, and now we are a united front. It's been an affirming and validating experience for me. Even though these are sad circumstances and I feel bad for my parents' troubles, I'm also so incredibly grateful to have siblings who feel the same way that I do about our parents' abuse. I feel like that's rare in dysfunctional families to have all the adult children be on the same page at the same time and actually agree with each other on how bad it is. So even though these are difficult issues to deal with and work through, I'm grateful to move towards change with them instead of doing it alone. I love that. I just love that. I love every fucking thing about that. And yeah, it is rare when somebody cuts ties with the parents to have everybody on board and supporting. You know, when I cut ties with my mom, my my brother was, uh, thankfully, and since then has been totally supportive, has never never questioned me, never tried to shame me, Um, none of it. And that is a fucking relief. This is from the shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself, am I anxious enough? I'm not sure. Let me read your survey. She's in her 20s, identifies as straight, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, Never been sexually abused, but she's been emotionally abused. Uh, My father continues to suffer from extreme anxiety and anger. My mother is possibly clinically depressed. Their emotional abuse was a byproduct of their own struggles. They diminished my emotions, manipulated me into behaving according to their conservative Christian ideals, and relied on me to provide emotional stability. It was my duty as their child to remain emotionally neutral. I was spanked, but not violently. I was body shamed from a young girl, My my parents consistently manipulated me to become more religious and controlled what activities I was allowed to participate in. The worst part was the volatility of my dad's anger. It became my life mission to avoid and de-escalate his outbursts. He was always angry over the stupidest shit. Dishwashers sitting full 15 minutes after finishing a cycle, curtains left open, popcorn being eaten in my bedroom all random and unpredictable. I've spent a lot of time healing from this environment as it essentially stifled my ability to develop into an individual. My existence was for someone else for so long. I didn't know what I preferred or how to exist without feeling responsible for someone else's well-being, emotional well-being. Uh, any positive experiences with the abusers. Both my parents love me very much. They've shown their support for me when it comes to my professional success, but I think this is mostly due to my success being an extension of their success as parents. I love them and recognize their own struggle and personal demons. However, it's difficult to act on that love when I know they are so unstable. They do not respect my boundaries and cannot love me as a whole person because so much of who I am today is a divergence from what they want from me and their religious conservative perspectives. Darkest thoughts. I want to be sexually active. I'm still religious and can't shake this conflicting desire of following my faith and acknowledging my sexual self. I've been so repressed sexually that I only started masturbating in my late 20s. My deepest, darkest secret that I can't, can't act on is to be intimate with someone. I can't do it. I shut down emotionally and convince myself that it's not possible. I've never let someone in, and interestingly, I'm afraid to let anyone touch me. Family members can hug me, but allowing a partner to touch me feels like assault. Even if I want it mentally, it feels wrong. What a strange contradiction darkest secrets. I guess that I'm scared that I can't ever change and will end up alone. I've convinced myself I don't need people and this has caused strain on many relationships when someone wanted more and I couldn't offer it. I've hurt people and pushed them away. Well, You know, that is understandable G- given where you were raised and the eggshells you had to tread on. Um, I mean, fuck, it's got to be Terrifying being intimate with somebody. You know, there's this amazing article by, um, uh, God, I'm blanking on his name right now, uh, Dr. Alan Rappaport, and it's called Co Narcissism. And it is about the ripples of growing up in, being raised by uh, a narcissistic parent or two narcissistic parents. And um, one of the things that he talks about is that we we grow up with black and white thinking something is all good or it's all bad and we also believe that the world views us the same way that our narcissistic parent viewed us and so you know just walking out our front door is you know walking through a a landmine so the idea of sharing our life and sharing that you know the most vulnerable parts of ourself with another person uh yeah it's got to be terrifying sexual fantasy is most powerful to you i want to be with a partner that feels overwhelmed by my ability to please him uh i want it i want sex to take on a significant part of my life and be a means of exploring who i am i want to lose the mystery and gain a deep understanding of another person by sharing uh, in their most personal life moments. I know, pretty edgy stuff. I feel slightly more hopeful even just writing this down. You sound like a really, really sweet soul and um, I think it's totally doable what you want. I really do. I really do, but I don't think it's, it's. And again, I'm not a mental health professional, but I don't think it's feasible just doing it on your own. I think you need support. I think you need a community of people, you know, kind of, kind of training wheels for being vulnerable. That's, that's what I needed to learn how to be vulnerable. I had to do it in my support groups before I could do it in a romantic relationship. And it took years. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I could tell my parents that loving being a parent is, the not, is not the same thing as loving your child. My parents loved the idea of their child. They did not love the cracks and crevices of who I was, the ugly warts and the cutting sarcasm. That was who I was. They praised me for my high achievements and said nothing of my failures. They critiqued my appearance and judged my ideas, even as a young child. They decided what my needs were and chose to love the parts of me they saw as good enough. I would want to say that it wasn't good enough, and parenting is about respect and acceptance. I'd also say thank you. I'm not sure which sentence would be the hardest to say. Wow. That was like a little poem. Wow. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, with my therapist and my sister. How do you feel after writing these things down? Better, hopeful, human. Man. Man. That is just a beautiful survey. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Bipolar Nightmare. He identifies as gay. He is in his 30s. He was raised in, a, he says, a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, he writes, I was... He says some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I just assume that people know that. But sometimes I, I just, just occurred to me that a somebody who's new to the podcast might hear this and go, Well, how dare you classify that as you don't know if it counts? That person should, well, just another fear rattling around in my head about me making a mistake and everybody <laughs> turning their backs on me. Um, I was about four or five and I remember sitting in the back seat of this pale blue VW Beetle and my mom and, and in parentheses, aunt uh, in the front seats. Somehow the conversation turned to French kissing and then suddenly my aunt was kissing me and telling me to touch my tongue to hers. I will never forget how gross her tongue felt and how confused and ashamed I was for kissing her. I don't know why my mom allowed this to happen. This same, quote, aunt molested me and my younger brother in the bathtub. Whenever I am intimate with someone now, I have to fight myself not to scrunch up my face and wince like I'm about to be punched because even though consensual sex feels amazing, it also makes my skin crawl in fear. Rough sex makes me feel alive, walking the line between pleasure, pain, and fear, is both terrible and amazing at the same time. After my dad married stepmom number one, one time she found a little bit of poop in the toilet that wasn't flushed. This psycho bitch then made me and my brother go into the bathroom and show her our anuses so she could inspect for poop and determine who had forgotten to flush the toilet. Her older son and friend were there and they laughed at us. Uh, He says he's never been physically abused, but he's been emotionally abused. After catching my mom cheating on stepdad number one, he chased me, my brother, and mom up a hill into the forest with a knife. We hid for hours in the dark woods, afraid he would kill us. Stepdad number one and my mom would fight constantly. There was always loud yelling and screaming. Dishes flung across the room and locked doors kicked in. One time, stepdad number one cut the spark plug wires out of my mom's car and held a knife to her throat as she screamed at me to get the neighbors and call the cops. Jesus Christ. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Stepdad number one taught me how to rope cows, shoot guns, and ride horses. I loved him and wanted to call him dad, but we left him to stay at the battered women's shelter, and I never saw him again. Darkest thoughts. I think about my darling partner dying all the time. I imagine terrible accidents and how the cops would come to tell me the news. I fear I will bring these things into existence by thinking them and then I won't care if it actually happens. Darkest secrets. When I was 14, I showed my toddler brother my penis. I don't know why I did that. I am so ashamed and disgusted with myself for doing that. I've never done anything like that again. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. I fantasize about being the receiver in a gang fuck situation where countless men use my body and then leave, leave with me never having seen their faces. You gotta, you gotta enjoy a nice gang fuck situation, right? You know, perimeter of cops, a couple of them on horseback, just in case things get out of control, because you never know. You never know when a gang fuck's going to go downhill because it's a gang fuck. I mean, sure, there are some people out there that have tidy, polite gang fucks. But there are also people out there who've had messy, unpredictable gang fucks. So I guess what I'm trying to say is all gang fucks are not alike. And what we need to do is bring our humanity to our gang fucks. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Stepdad one, I fucking hate you. I got to say, I fucking hate your stepdad. Stepdad one. I hate your stepdad number one so much, I hate stepdad number two, and I don't even know anything about him. That's what a dick your stepdad one sounds like. Stepmom number one, what the fuck is wrong with you? mom grow the fuck up dad you're a fucking coward who sold me out to appease your awful fucking wife what if anything do you wish for i want a family i want kids of my own that i can fill with love and happiness i want to create a home that is stable and accepting and loving have you shared these things with others my partner doesn't want kids and i desperately do i put my dreams on hold because i am too scared to cause him any pain it's too much for me to deal with. How do you feel after writing these things down? Better, actually. I've never told anyone about the abuse. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? You are enough. You deserve love and affection for no other reason than you are you, and that is more than enough. This doesn't have to end in suicide. You are strong enough to keep going. Keep creating. Your music Photos and woodworking projects are the essence of you. You are not lost. I love you. Wow, dude. Thank you for that. That was a beautiful, beautiful survey. And then finally, this is a happy moment filled (laughs) out by an agender person who calls themselves... Something clever and witty that will encourage Paul to read this on air so I can feel validated. That, how does that fit on your driver's license? Tell me. Uh, And they write, I've been struggling with self-harm after a recent relapse. I was clean for over a year until last Sunday. I tried to keep my relapse to myself, but this, surprise, surprise, made things much worse. I finally told my girlfriend what I was dealing with, and she was incredibly non-judgmental. After telling her without feeling like a freak, I felt encouraged and did some searching for a support group I could join. I found a self-injury recovery anonymous chapter that meets online and nervously sat through the first meeting. When it came my turn to speak, I immediately started crying and my voice wobbled. I was so embarrassed and apologized, but was able to explain my situation. The person who spoke after me said that this is not a place to be perfect that it is the best place to cry, and that they were happy to see me. I was amazed and relieved to find a space where I can let go of my usual stoicism and perfectionism. I can't wait for the next meeting. The same night as the meeting, I decided to take myself dancing. I've never gone to a club, much less by myself, but I've always wanted to try it. So, bolstered by the meeting, I hyped myself up enough to take the train to the nearest LGBT-friendly club. It was a weeknight, so there were only a handful of people there, and I was nervous about looking stupid. But when I looked around me, I realized everyone looks at least a little bit stupid when they dance, and no one there knew me, so there'd be no real witnesses if I looked stupid too. I slowly got into it. It was 80s night. The DJ put on my favorite Tears for Fears song, and I forgot for a second how I looked and just felt how good it is to move. My normally racing thoughts were drowned out by the noise, and the laser lights made everything dreamy. I was totally in my body, dancing purely for the feel of it, alone at a club and doing just fine. I didn't even have anything to drink. This would be good enough, as is. But after about an hour of dancing, a lesbian couple tapped me on the shoulder and told me that they'd been watching me dance and that I had great footwork. I was so surprised and thrilled. I thanked them, danced a little more, took the last train home, and slept like a baby. Ugh. I've said it a thousand times before, but I feel so privileged to get to read about your guys' lives, especially your inner lives, especially the things that you've never shared aloud or typed them out or even formed the sentence in your brain that you feel safe enough in this podcast community to go to the website and fill that out and hit and hit send that just it just blows me away it just blows me away and it actually helps calm down that mean voice in my brain because I mean let's be honest the survey part of this show is really a parade of mean inner voices just letting loose And it just it it. I feel less alone. Maybe that's why I say it to you guys at the end of the episode. Maybe I should say never forget I'm not alone. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And let's just say we're not alone. How's that? You, me, Gracie, that guy I tossed to the backside of hell. I'll, I'll let him come back. Nah, no. Let's leave there. Gracie says I, by the way. And uh, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.